What we're going to do this morning, I'm just going to open up to the crew. We've got here, um, um, everyone here runs a connect group or is involved in a connect group. Um, but we've also got a couple of board members as well. But we're just going to talk about this morning our journeys, um, how we've come um, to know Christ, and then how that's actually translated into um, us joining church. Because often, often we can come... Um, Guys, you might want to jump in the middle if that's possible because I feel like I'm excluding a lot of people. Let's just bunch it up this morning. Um, you don't have to sit on the front row, just, just in the middle. Um, oh, no, no, sorry. sorry. I just, that wasn't to get you off, Katie. Now Emma's the only one. Hey, Emma. <laughs> you can. Poor Emma. <laughs> um, so we're being, I guess like um, one of the things um, uh, that is, and I'm sure we'll hear evident in a lot of people's stories, is that sometimes there's a difference between coming to know God and then coming to know the church. And, um, and so we're going to talk a bit, little bit about that journey this morning, um, and then we're going to talk about um, our hearts of the church and, um, and how God's done work in us um, with that. Now, I'm going to open it up to the panel, so whoever's ready to jump in for this question. Um, and I, although, yeah, I think Bernie, I, I like this one for Bernie, because I know a little bit of Bernie's background, but I think it would be interesting for the, for the church to hear a little bit. Uh, Bernie, if you could just talk a little bit about the religious or spiritual background of your childhood, your upbringing, um, and, yeah, how you came to know God. Briefly, I mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we're good. Um, so I was born into an Irish Catholic family, born in the north of Ireland. Well, that's a political statement straight away. <laughs> um, if you're British, it's known as Northern Ireland. If you're Irish, are a true believer in history. And I was born in the north of Ireland. Is that enough? Um, my parents actually met in England because being Catholic and having a Catholic name like McKenna uh, meant you would never work in Northern Ireland. Um, all employment was controlled by big companies or Britain. So like the major shipyards built the Titanic that says a lot. Um, aircraft companies, again, all British money. Um, so even if you didn't have an Irish name, if, if it was neutral, then they could just ask you what school you went to or where you lived. And well, basically, Catholics got to the stage where they just didn't go for jobs because it was just too soul destroying. So they'd moved to England. So my parents met in London. And it was a bit of a tradition that, certainly in the first couple of pregnancies, um, that the woman would give birth at home as with her mother. And so I, I was actually born in hospital. I still don't know why. Um, but for some reason. And my older brother, but the rest of the family. So the other nine pregnancies were all in England. So there were 12 of us. Which is not surprising because my mother's family, there were 12, and my dad's family, there were 12. That gives you something of the expectations around being Irish Catholic family. 
Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Fanny. So many political statements in that. Uh, I know. <laughs> interestingly, Jared's in Belfast right now. Um, this morning, the major Christian radio station is doing an interview that was done on Friday. And it's him talking about peace and the work he's been doing in South Africa and Zimbabwe and Albania, Romania, Palestine last year. So for him, it's about putting it into context in Northern Ireland, where everybody thinks there's been a peace treaty for 20 years, which there has. But under the surface, all of this is boiling away and things are not good at the moment. So it really needs a lot of prayer. But you will rarely hear about it because, uh, again, it's the British press that controls uh, what gets out in terms of the media. Um, and so it just doesn't get a mention because it's a huge embarrassment to bring. Yeah, yeah wow. Um, do you want anything more political? <laughs> no, that'll, that'll do. Uh, that'll do us nicely. So um, does anyone else want to share on their spiritual um, childhood uh, or upbringing? Faye, you want to? Um, I come from a family opposite to Bernie. He's a family of uh, 14, including mum and dad. Um, I'm one of three kids, and it was, up, it was my mum who introduced me uh, to Jesus when I was a little kid. Took me to a Presbyterian uh, Sunday school, and um, uh, through my childhood, I continued uh, to go to Sunday school, and we grew up in the country. Um, so there were limited uh, youth uh, resources, but when I was a mid-teenager, um, I went to a Baptist youth group. And when I was 16, I actually went forward and gave myself uh, to God at a Billy Graham um, rally, which was a big deal for me. I'm a country kid and you know, going massive audience. It was just mind-blowing. So even though my parents um, haven't continued um, being active uh, followers of Christ, uh, I did. And um, as I said, the momentous moment for me was at that Billy Graham uh, crusade which was really quite, um, uh, quite wonderful. And then as I travelled through my 20s, someone, a work colleague that I became friendly with, challenged me um, about my faith. And I hadn't been baptised by full immersion. And I've still got the Bible that my mum uh, gave me when I left home. And it was interesting, she said, um, if you follow the guidance of this book, you'll always be okay, which I've just lost my mum very recently. So that's really um, a treasure to me, uh, the fact that, that she said, if you keep following the guidelines of this book, uh, the Bible. Anyway, this work colleague, Kate, she challenged me so, in this Bible that Mum gave me, I've um, underlined every word on salvation, every word on baptism, 
to prove her wrong, basically. But at the end of my research, I decided that, yes, I needed to be fully baptised by a merchant, which I was when I was 29. And then I met this guy, and um, we got married, and here we are 40-plus years later, uh, still following Jesus and trying to love Jesus and love others like him. That's awesome. So good, yeah. Um, I think that's yeah amazing to hear two stories of um, of growing up, um, and that was your experience from your parents passed on, and then it became your own faith. Um, Jeff, I feel like you've got maybe a little bit of a different story. Yeah, Mark and I are a little bit different. Um, we both grew up in families where parents said they were um, Christian, but never ever went to church or anything like that, and we brought up our kids like that. But then in 2001, Mark had a water skiing accident. And um, he finished up a couple of months. And Mark finished up in hospital for a couple of months. And um, she finished up in a really, really dark place where uh, she just saw no way out. Um, but then uh, good friends. She wasn't even a good friend at that stage. A, a, a friend, one of our son's friend's mother came into the hospital while Marg was there and, and just started talking to her and eventually started introducing the gospel to her and then when Marg got out of the hospital she started going to all these strange women's events and <laughs> um, she... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so, Marg, when she recovered, she started going consistently to church and she'd drag me along occasionally. I was very reluctant. Um, but uh, I went, and, uh, but the, the healing that I saw in Margaret, um, where she renewed her strength, and I couldn't deny it, uh, who it was responsible for that healing. I, um, I eventually. Uh, put up my hand to be saved as well and uh, yeah, uh, we got baptised together 15 years ago last week I think it was yeah, so, yep, so, yep. I'm not going to say it again. I was saying. Um, so we, um, we got really involved, um, like stupidly involved. Um, and, and I think the, the catalyst for me was the fact that Debs um, got saved. Um, I was already sort of pseudo-saved. Um, but the fact that she decided because of the relationship that we had that she would do that to make that decision to follow Christ so it's all his fault with great power comes great responsibility <laughs> she um, so Deb's I mean the, the greatest I mean for me the, the, the biggest compliment the greatest honour that she could you know give me was to go okay our relationship is that important that I'll go to church with you 
and people might take that lightly, but that's a massive big deal. That is unbelievable. And 26 years later, we're still still there, eh? So, <laughs> um, so that was that was it for us. We um, yeah um, became sold out completely. Um, yeah, um, lived in church for 10 years every day, like almost every day in church, just nuts. doing something like every day, multiple times on Sunday. I just lived it, you know, completely, utterly sold out. It's like, you know, yeah, we were just there. So, um, good. It was good. It was crazy, but it was unbelievable. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Um, if someone wants to ex- um, keep, we'll keep this question open. Um, your decision to come to church, but also um, expanding on um, why do you keep coming? Someone wants to take that one. I'll run the mic down. Yeah, that is, that's a difficult question. Um, maybe I just need to go back a little bit and fill in a few things. And if you disagree with my theology, please just give me a little bit of mercy. Um, and I appreciate that people may well. Um, a few years ago, you know when sometimes we turn around and say a lot of people join the service and everything, this woman said to me, so um, when were you saved? like the discussion that we've just had. And I think that's probably one of the most difficult questions for me to answer, which is why I said I just need to go back a little bit. Because, as Faye mentioned, um, I also met Kay, that um, friend that Faye was living with, and we had a similar discussion. Although in my arrogance, um, I thought I had all the scriptural answers in terms of uh, my Catholic background and argued most of the night and then I don't know one o'clock in the morning or something we went for a walk along um, the coast still talking it through Um, and I absolutely didn't want to be changing my view Um, and I actually went to the church that Faye was going to remember this is a by this time I'd actually left the Catholic Church about a year before. Um, So going into Protestant church was something quite new and thankfully it was really badly done. So it was easy to sit at the back. I mean, let me just say, it was always gonna be badly done from my point of view. Um, Sat in the back and then said afterwards, I can't be part of this. Anyway, two weeks later I was baptized. Three, how long? Twelve weeks. I mean, ten weeks later, we were married. Um, so a lot of things were happening very quickly. But the point that I recognise more than anything else in terms of my faith journey. I mean, if somebody says to me, "So, um, you know, where did you first experience God?" or that sort of thing, then I'd almost have to say in my mother's womb and say that seriously in terms of how significant the Catholic faith was and how you grow up in that and it's all consuming as I say one is a religion and unfortunately in some places also politically 
Um, so going to a Catholic school at age 10, um, what used to happen is they would have various priests from different groups, nuns and people from monasteries, all this sort of thing coming through with the whole idea that the idea of vocation or being called to God occurs at a very young age. Um, I'm not sure it occurs at 10, but I was aware at 10 that I wanted to do something different. I wanted to give my life to God. And at age 11, I went to a Catholic boarding school run by monks that was for the specific purpose of uh, boys, young men, who A, you believed that God was calling you, and B, B that others, decision makers, also believe that you are being called. And so this is being taught by monks and living a life so that you're up at 6.30, chanting the Psalms as in monasteries, going to Mass, learning meditation, and during the day, lunchtime, um, before dinner, after dinner, the day would close, again, in prayer, in meditation. And then at 17, I literally went from school straight into a monastery um, until I was 22. Um, and under canon law, it's a, in the way in which the church works, no one until they're 24 can make a decision to be a priest for life or a, a monk in terms of taking lifetime vows. So I had the opportunity from 23 to make a decision each year whether to continue or to leave. And I finally decided to leave. But that wasn't the end of my life in terms of the Catholic Church at all. But by the time I was 28, as I said before, I then made the decision that the whole structure, the way in which I worship God, all of those things no longer um, were a good fit for me. And it coincided with being living in Israel for six months and being in Jerusalem over Easter and going to the Catholic services, uh, which is really interesting, and the Holy Sepulchre on Easter Saturday, you know, to commemorate Jesus' resurrection and making a decision on the spot that I'm never going inside a Catholic church again. It's like that was the end. Um, and deciding not to go to services on the Sunday. But in my room where I was staying, on Sunday morning I could hear this singing. And whatever it was about it, I just had to go and find out what it was about. And over the road from where I was staying, there was this garden area that was walls, so he had to go inside. And I knew it was strange because all these people were praying with their hands in the air. So I knew straight away I needed to be careful. Um, but that really affected me. Um, and in fact, when I went back to my room later, the first thing I did was to write to Faye and tell her about the experience. Um, and the incredible thing is, throughout my faith journey, so that's when I was 28, um, until a year ago, I'd actually had no involvement whatsoever in terms of the Pentecostal movement or people who pray and hands in the air, all that type of thing. Or 
who believed that the spirit was so um, significant in their lives compared to my experience before. So it's all almost like at a sense at this time of my life that the two experiences of what happened on that Easter Sunday and what happened at coming to Cornerstone have sort of brought me back to a place where to me it's all bits of a jigsaw that the experience started in my mother's womb and then at birth with her experience um, in terms of how she loved God uh, and it's the whole thing to me it's like a tapestry they're not different journeys and then I left the Catholic Church then I did this it's actually all one journey but it's really quite recently that I started to see that I'm sorry I talked so long no, that's, that's brilliant thanks Benny how's your Latin um, I actually spent a number of years learning Latin so it's not good because I've never done it since but it's interesting how you remember specific phrases or terms um, yeah great but I, I wasn't think thinking of taking it up again or anything like that I think we should have a worship service led in Latin by, by Bernie maybe something <laughs> we can work in in the near future um, I love that I love what Bernie was saying about um, the salvation and, and sometimes we can become uh, fixated on trying to put a date on our salvation. I like to say something that's a little bit tongue-in-cheek when people ask when I got saved. Um, 2,000 years ago, um, when Jesus died on the cross, is, um, is my answer, but also um, every day. And um, to realize that um, salvation's a journey, and I love the language of journey that Bernie was using in that, and um, there are these moments, these pinnacle moments, these landmark moments, and um, I always think of them in terms of um, Abraham going, journeying through the, um, through the wilderness and sojourning and coming across and building altars where God really, um, you know, these landmarks in his life. And I, I think that these are the things that we build along that we can look back and fall back on. But salvation's a journey. Um, like, uh, I'm not sure about you, but I need grace every day. And... Um, and I think that's, you know, a bit of a theme that's developing this morning is that journey. Um, I guess we'll just move on to the, um, to the last question really now, which is um, what, what is your heart for Cornerstone and what do you think that the... We've been talking about reframing the question a little bit in leadership and a little bit in church as well, but what sort of church do you think the world needs and why? And then how does Cornerstone play a part in that? Um, if people want to answer. I'll just do it quickly and pass it along. Um, for me, it would be a place where I never hear a denomination mentioned, where I never see any branding about churches, because we would be so focused on the gospel that we wouldn't need all of that. It would be about Jesus and how we live lives that, one, allows the Spirit in to work through us, and it's the spirit that's driving us. And just as in the early church, well, as in Jesus, it was all about him reaching out to those around him. And in the early church, it was about them going out to where people were, not an expectation that we would have church buildings and people were expected to come along on Sunday mornings, do that, and you're saved, and it's the end of it. I think the whole idea of 
Sunday mornings about where we collect and support and encourage and build and do all those things so that we can then go out and do the work of the gospel. I want to say that um, I've never known a church like Cornerstone in that it's got such an upward focus. If I think of things that Cornerstone Church has started now, we are standing on the foundation of someone else. Um, Pastor hasn't always been our senior pastor. There's been pastors before that. But the, essentially the heart of Cornerstone has always been the same. Cornerstone Church was instrumental in starting the Jindalup Christmas lunch. A lunch provided for people that are alone and isolated on Christmas Day. On Christmas Day, not on a different day, on Christmas Day. So this is not a lunch that's provided, oh, you know what, we'll do it the weekend before. We have people that give up their time on Christmas Day, give up time from not being with their families in order to serve the least, the last, and the lonely. So Cornerstone Church has never been what I would call an in-the-box church. We're not cookie cutter, definitely not. We are definitely a church that looks outside of the four walls. And in a lot of instances, we might look at how many people we have here on a Sunday morning and think, oh my gosh, there's not very many people here. An example of this morning, but go back last week and we had a lot more people here. But it's more about how we impact the people outside the four walls. Not about how, well, to an extent how we impact one another and Bernie's touched on that already but it is about being his hands and feet and I was thinking about it this morning there's so many references where Jesus was moved with compassion and he healed the sick Jesus was moved with compassion and he fed the hungry Jesus was moved with compassion and he did something he, you know, he provided, he spoke to the Samaritan woman instances where he sat everyone down and taught them so we can't be an in the box church, we can't be fixated with what happens on a Sunday morning because that's not what it's about that's awesome Debbie yeah, if you, Jeff and Margs, if you want to share, maybe even touch on a little bit of Pink Jade and how that forms your heart. Yeah. Um, if first of all, I reflect on the words of many would remember John Claude Soulon used to be part of this church, and he used to call this, this church, his vision for the church was for it to be a spiritual hospital for, for those who were broken to come to church and for people to, to wrap their arms around them. Uh, and I look at, you know, Jesus called us to, to look after the, the orphan, the widow and the refugee. And uh, so that's where my faith takes me to uh, to look after the orphan, the, the widow, and the refugee. Um, and that's you know, what Sam was just talking on. You know, Mark and I, um, 11 years ago, 10, 11 years ago now, went to Burma for a half a day, and um, you know, God placed something super heavy in our hearts that we just could not turn away from what He'd placed there, and wouldn't. As you know, the growth that's gone on from there with you know, looking after children in Burma. It's so, yeah. awesome. Let's give our panel a hand, guys. It's great to hear their insight. And um, 
We'll just, if you guys want to take your seats, maybe just shove the stool to the side. Sam, can I just get a quick plug-in? Absolutely. Pink Jade, we've got a uh, garage sale next Saturday uh, at our house if you want to dump off any junk that you don't want. <laughs> but come and take some junk away too, please. <laughs> Thanks, Ron. Awesome. I want to ask the band to come. I'm just going to wrap this up, guys. And um, God was really speaking to me um, actually on the drive up this morning and um, and I didn't know how today was going to turn out and um, um, but the Holy Spirit did and the Holy Spirit gave me this word about journey and um, it was great to see that come up and it's not, I didn't share it with the team um, it was great to see that come up and, and um, reveal itself as we um, as the conversations went on and um, I'm just going to share real quickly about this. Like sometimes, um, for me, I've been on a I've been on a bit of a health journey. Um, some of you know that I've shared that I was quite sick in 2016, and I've been on a journey, and um, you know, and, and came a lot out of that. But um, but still not not fully healed, I guess. I've suffered chronic headaches since 2015, and chronic pain as a result of that. And um, it was amazing how, as humans, that we often want. The quick fix. We want the instant healing. Um, we want the spontaneous, instant transformation, and we want the complete turnaround in our lives to happen like that. And our God is a God that that can move like that, and sometimes does move like that. But I've found that more often than not, um, God moves through us and in us in the way of journeying. And for me, in I think it was 2016, there was like a, a bit of a unlocking. Um, uh, I was sitting in a church service visiting a night service and this lady was preaching she was preaching on anxiety and the Holy Spirit said you're clenching your jaw because you're anxious and I realized I was clenching my jaw and it's something that I did daily without even realizing and you know there was part of me that was like yeah this is this is the key this is my healing this will unlock unlock the um, the pain that I've been suffering and I'll be released of this but it wasn't it was a signpost along the journey it was an insight to doctors that they could now begin to treat this but it wasn't this instant overnight fix and i've since been on that journey of of um of walking with um uh, physios and doctors and um to try and resolve this problem and um rec as recent as friday um um I actually I went down for prayer we've been at ACC conference pastors conference and they had a healing night and um, I went down for prayer and because um, I really felt that um, you know God was calling people to be healed and I and I really believe that they were as well um, really felt the healing presence of God and and people did get healed that night and it was beautiful and I went down and they prayed for me they're praying for my shoulder which is part of the issue and he said all right try it out now so I'm like poking around and oh no still sore all right, so pray again, pray again. And I'm like, really believe, I'm like, God, I really need your healing here. Praying, praying, praying. All right, check it out. Mm, no, no, still bad. All right, pray again, praying, praying, praying. I think it was about the, the, the fourth time he got me to, to check it out. Now, for me to check it out means I have to poke around and see if it's actually painful. So really, it's just getting worse as the press going on because I'm aggravating it. And, um, and he said to me, he's, oh, I really feel that God's done here, something here. I really feel that he's healed you. And I walked away and I was like, well, that's great for you. But I'm actually in a lot of discomfort. I feel very away from being healed. 
Thursday I woke up, I was in agony. I had a headache all day because of the shoulder and the shoulder was in pain. Friday, worse. Went to the physio and um, my physio had decided that, you know, I've been seeing her for a while and I get a lot of needling and exercises they get me to do. And she takes me to see the senior physio because she's like, I can't, I don't know, I can, I've gone this far. We saw a lot of progress, now it's dropped off again. And I sat with the senior physio as she began to assess me and all these things that they've been working on my shoulders because my shoulders are affecting my neck, which is affecting my jaw, which is affecting my head. So we'll start at the shoulders. This lady does a few tests, runs a few tests for me and tries me to get to do a few exercises on the shoulders and she's like, oh man, we're not even close to working on the shoulders. You're so messed up. Like everything's wrong. Everything that should be doing something is doing something else and or you're engaging all the wrong muscles when you're using your neck. and She's like, we need to wind it way back and we need to start doing these these treatments and these physio things. We're, we're basically, we're changing the whole game plan. Everything that we were doing, we're throwing it out, we're doing something completely different. And um, I was like, okay. She goes, have you got any questions at the end of it? I was like, yeah, my shoulder's been in agony for close to a week now. Can you do something for me? <laughs> Can you give me the instantaneous fix? Can you give me the needling that's going to be painful, but then it will go away and then my shoulder will loosen up? Can you give me? She said, look, I'd love to treat it, but I'm not going to. Because I want to see how you go in the next week. I want to see how you go with the daily repetitions of the things I'm going to ask you to do so we can actually see if you progress along the journey. And I really feel that this, this for me, has been something that I've been walking through and everyone here has got a different journey and at times we've been walking it for so long and it can be discouraging because we're praying for the breakthrough, we're praying for the instant healing, but instead we're getting signposts along the way. We're getting little words from the Holy Spirit, little direction, and it keeps us on the path, it keeps us going. Because if I know anything about Christian faith and I grew up in the church and I was a pastor's kid and um, this uh, Paul Scanlon, I heard him preach recently and he was saying that often second generation Christians, which I am, first meet the church before they meet Jesus and they can often become disillusioned and my journey has been a little bit of that and and as I've continued if I've learned anything in the you know the short 27 years that I've been around is that that God is that we're so interested in the destination but God's interested in the journey and how we get to that destination and I've got this verse, and if you'd like to stand with me this morning, we're going to close with some worship, and Emma's going to um, invite us around the table, and we're going to come receive communion together as part of a journey, as part of a faith group, a church that moves together on this journey. I read from Hebrews 12, where the author is writing about this journey, and especially, I'm a young adults pastor, so I know all about the need for instant gratification and the need... <laughs> to have things immediately. We're definitely a generation that's not willing to put in the hard work that it takes to walk on a journey. We just like to get to the destination. But the author of Hebrews encourages us in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip over every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, 
the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Guys, Christ went on a journey. Christ became flesh to go on a journey that we could be invited into that. I can imagine that God probably could have had another plan that involved the flick of a switch, the click of some fingers, and everything would have been made right, and it would have been beautiful. But God's a God of journey. He journeys with us through our faith, through the valley. We read in Psalm 20, He goes with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Interesting, that can be interpreted. We are in the valley of the shadow of death, as in forever, until we journey out through Christ at the end, through the glory that awaits us. And sometimes life can feel like a journey of walking through the shadow of the valley of death. But this is what we're called to. I don't want to, I remember Duncan saying to me when I first came to this church, he's like, Sammy, we don't want you to be like a quick burst of flame. We want the long burn. And that's what our, um, as the um, leader of ACC, Wayne Alcorn, was talking about, when he was credentialing pastors on Wednesday night, he was saying that although we're credentialing these pastors, what's more important is the crown of glory that we all continue along the journey for, that we don't want these pastors to be in it for 10 years. We don't want to see them burn out after five, after 20, after 30. We want to see God journeying with us, us journeying with God right to the end. And faith can be a hard journey. It can be a struggling journey. It can be a journey as Bernie you know, describes it starts out in one sphere and then it completely changes and that sometimes we feel like the destination's over here and we're walking this way. There's a great analogy my friend used, um, Pastor Dave Hack of Riverview, that he said that sometimes we see the light on the hills, the journey, and there's nothing but darkness in between. And then the word is the light upon our feet and we can only see in front of us. And we're following Jesus and we're walking away from the the light on the hill, the destination, we're going, what are you doing here, God? I'm just getting further and further away of what I think you've called me to or what you're calling me to. And Dave said, but if we were able to turn on the house lights, we would see that if we went straight there, we would have fallen off a cliff edge. Sometimes that God takes us on this journey that we don't understand, but it's for the building of us, it's the benefits, it's building resilience, it's building faith. So we want as a church, as we step into not a destination, but a new signpost, as we come over these next few weeks, as we see new direction, new vision set, as we talk about what's happening on the 25th of November, trust that this isn't an arrival, this isn't a destination, this is a signpost, maybe a change of direction, as God leads us into this new season. And that as a church, that we want to come along together to, and journey together because it's hard to journey alone. So this morning as we come around the table, that we would step out and that we would journey with Christ and that we would journey with each other, that the table's open to anyone, that we would come along and that we would partake in the communion, in the communion, the union of what is happening in the Trinity, that we would take part in that as God invites us in. So I'm going to hand over to Emma. She's going to invite us around the table and then we'll worship together and um, we'll go out into our weeks to impact lives as God's called us to.
Sam. If I could get the people who are going to be um, holding the emblems to come up. In Corinthians 11, it says, And then he gave thanks, Jesus, and he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So today as we remember what Christ did on the cross for us, we are proclaiming his death until he comes. We are proclaiming the victory that he won for us on the cross. So this is the table, not of the church but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and for those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have a little. You have been here often and you who have just come for the first time. You have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed to follow Jesus. And those who have just decided to follow Jesus for the first time, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of its power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize this is God's family. Leave now if necessary. Go and be a forgiver and then run back. Because it's the Lord who invites us. It's God's will that those who desire Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit should encounter him right here. So come. Church, we have come as we are. But by his grace, we are sent out not the same. For the place of the Spirit, <coughs> sorry, for in this place the Spirit that anointed Christ is being poured out on us. He has exchanged a crown of beauty for our ashes, the oil for joy for our sorrow, a garment of praise for our spirit of despair. He has spoken over us a new name, Oaks of Integrity, and prophesied we will grow into a canopy of his beauty to bless and rebuild this city in his unfailing, nonviolent love. So go, broadcast good news to the poor, bind up the brokenhearted, prophesy freedom for captives, let the blind see, set free the oppressed, live jubilee and forgive, blessing our enemies because Christ has shut the book on vengeance. Go now in his liberating grace that pardons and empowers sinners like us to participate in God's kingdom of mercy and all of God's people said, Amen. Be blessed, church.